Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. That is hammered. Oh, my. Man, that ball got out of here in a hurry. You know, anything travels that far, I'd have a damn stewardess on it, don't you think? High drive. Left field. It is out of here. This is a simple game. You throw the ball. You hit the ball. You catch the ball. You got it! You're listening to The Roundtable with Grant Brisby, Andy McCullough, and Mark Carrig on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 13 of The Roundtable. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy McCullough and Mark Carrig. And uh, last week, we bemoaned the lack of exciting baseball stories, at least the kind of dumb baseball stories that wet our whistle. And this week, there are some silly baseball stories. Our whistle is wet. Hi, guys. How you doing? Andy, let's start with you. How are you doing? My beak is soaked. <laughs> beak is soaked. Mark, are you ready to talk about silly baseball doings and transpirings? I'll tell you what's soaked. The Field of Truest uh, ballpark after <laughs> Freddie Freeman passed through oh, no. three days. Oh, man. Oh, coming in hot, coming in hot. All right, but we... I just want to thank both of you guys for both being here this week. Two weeks in a row, your Ripken-esque streak of showing up to work is really impressive. Now let's go. Oh, let's talk about Cadence. Anyway, (laughs) it'll be a (laughs) 2-1. All right. Uh, Settle down, gentlemen. Settle down, gentlemen. If we're going to talk about some some beef, uh, we've got beef to talk about. We've got uh, Angels and Mariners and... Baseball fights are generally silly things where uh, a gentleman in pajamas push each other around and occasionally you'll get the Donnybrook where you have some punches thrown and scraps happen. But I believe that Phil Nevin has broken new ground on the baseball uh, fight paradigm. Mark, do you want to talk about uh, Phil Nevin's contributions to the, the base brawl industry? Phil Nevin should get some kind of Sabre award for innovation because... He tapped an opener before the game, like unannounced opener, who, by the way, totally understood the assignment. Oh, yeah. And went out there and drilled some guys because that was his job on that particular day. So, you know, we were talking about like last week, it was kind of a grind this time of the year. And then this weekend was just a reminder of how much I love this stupid game and watching the Mariners and the Angels do what they were doing and watching... Phil Nevin do it in such an innovative and artful way. I was just like, man, I love this shit. I really do. I just, I'm so entertained by it. And by the way, before people get all bent out of shape, dude, I, I am not advocating like people getting hurt, right? I, I don't think I'm thinking of this way if people actually got hurt. But man, that was hilarious. 
what a thing to do to not only make it clear that we're out here to go hit some people, but in the manner in which it was done, uh, it was like an added middle finger to the whole thing. It was just wonderful, brilliant, innovative, whatever you want to call it. That dude should win an award. The best baseball fights are when two kind of bad teams fight because it's like nothing's really at stake here. Like we just kind of want to fight. And like we've, you know, normally you see fights like this in like August, right? Like, you know, that's where it's like, I'm just sick of this. There's this, the season's too long. Like I'm tired of this, this to see it in June. I mean, this we're breaking, we're breaking new ground here. It's uh, it's uncharted territory. Dude, it's politics, baby. That's what it is. (laughs) It's politics. What we're watching is that real politic as they call it, because you know, Phil Nevin is an interim manager, the best player on the planet and on his team got pissed off the night before at having a ball thrown at his head. And so a fellow who likes to keep his job, what do you do? You make a big show of letting everybody know you do not mess with our guy. And it doesn't matter what the score and situation were. Like they clearly were not out there headhunting Mike Trout in that situation. But politically, you better have an answer, baby. And he did. And not only was it an answer, it was innovative. <laughs> the opener, I can't get over it. Ah, oh, so good. At the risk of getting too wonky and getting into the weeds, I just want to know, the reasoning is the pitching coach comes out to talk to uh, the Mariners pitcher when Mike Trout is up. And then they go back and then there's two, there's one uh, way up on Trout and then one up and in. And Nevin's contention is that, well, the pitching coach came out and then these two pitches happened. You connect the dots. And that doesn't track to me because to me as a baseball dummy, it just could be the pitching coach coming out and saying, hey, make sure you get it up to Trout, up to Trout. And you got a guy who's not exactly uh, Mariano Rivera out there. I don't know. Like we can go back to the dumbness in the opener and stuff like that. But does that track with you guys as baseball lifers? Looking at it as someone who doesn't care about either of these teams, yeah, they probably threw at him on purpose. You know, why? I don't know. I mean, it's a long season. I think what upset the Mariners, obviously, is that the Angels had their shot in the first inning. They threw at Julio Rodriguez, uh, the, the the fellow wants uh, What's his name? Yeah, anyway. The opener, <laughs> the hired gun. Uh, he <laughs> threw at Rodriguez and he missed. And then they opened the second inning and he's throwing at Winker. So, like, from Winker's perspective, he's like, all right, like, let's let's go. And there were so many great moments. I mean, any – like, Rysel Iglesias throwing the sunflower <laughs> seeds is, like, some of the most enjoyable 10 seconds of video you can ever consume. It made me feel so good every time I watched it, and I probably watched it 50 times over the weekend. I liked his gum toss even better because it was left-armed in the gum sail, buddy. It just went out there, and it spilled all over. If I remember correctly, his tantrum was because he didn't do anything and he got tossed. Right. Is that he got is, run, yeah. That's a great reaction to I didn't do anything. Well, now I'm going to do something. What can I do? What's near me? What can I, I – I love that. that. That's classic. Anthony Rendon with a cast on his right hand mushed Jesse Winker with his left. Uh, somehow Scott Service like ended up at the bottom of the pile just getting wailed on. You know, it was great. Like Mike Trout ran in and just immediately pulled out Justin Upton. It was a great one. I mean, there was just, there were so many great subplots. Oh, Andy, it looked like a classic run-in, didn't it? Just a beautiful classic run-in. Like, you know who who um, got the business? Ryan Tapera. Yes. <laughs> Holy <laughs> yeah, moly. Just getting worked over. By Winker. Like, dude, like that, you want to talk about exit velo? 
Like, Winker barreled up Ryan Tapera at the bottom of that pile. And did you see the swing that Tapera got in to precipitate all that? Did not get his money's worth. It was... No. They were... Uh, he... Both it was underwater. Tepera, both Tapera and J.P. Crawford were throwing sort of like the clubbing forearm move, which is generally used in pro wrestling because it theoretically looks like it hurts, but it really doesn't. <laughs> Winker was getting in like short arm shots that, you know, the more Japanese style, the strong style, mm-hmm. uh, that you, where you lay it in real stiff. I mean, it was it was a good one. Oh, he did. Multiple. Like He had him on the ground, and those were connecting. Oh, I have a serious question, though. I understand why Nevin did this. I think this makes him look bad to ownership, right? Which was like clearly his audience. Right? Maybe his audience was his clubhouse. I don't know. I what think the audience was the clubhouse. I, I do. And like, okay, so some context, right? Like Phil Nevin is about as old school as it gets. So, you know, and I know there's like this romanticism about that. And so I love watching this from the perspective of, okay, finally, all these people that are like, I just wish I was old school. You just saw it. (laughs) What do you think? What do you think? Because, like, he clearly ordered the opener. God, I love this movie. (laughs) uh, Like, this is your assignment, sir. Go do it. And the kid freaking did it. All right? Like, he went and did it. He's clearly trying to score points with an underachieving team. He's doing it after his best player you know, got angry the night before. Like, and it's classic. That's classic. And, like, you know, Sam Blum does a nice job covering the Angels for us, had a story about Phil Nevin's first managerial assignment. It was the Orange County Flyers in Fullerton, California, about 15 minutes from Angel Stadium. And guess what? Nevin's got a bit in there where he... He had gotten all these players that he played with back in the day with the Angels who were kind of at the tail end that just wanted to be on a team. I think it was Scott Spezio, if memory serves properly. And one day, the team wasn't very good. He goes to Spezio and is like, watch this. And like, you know, Nevin does like the classic what you'd see out of the movie. Like, I think he turns the spread over, loses his mind or whatever. He gets done and like he's, you know, red and all pissed off and looks at Spezio and goes, hey, how was that? <laughs> so this is his mindset, Okay. He, he thinks that this is how people respond. Now, I covered Phil. 2018, Yankees. He's a third base coach. I went to school in Reno, Nevada. Phil Nevins, I think, first, like, or, or the, the man, where he managed before going to be a coach in the majors was AAA Reno. I knew someone that was around that club. And the first thing he did when he realized that I was covering Phil was like, you watch, he's going to lose it one day. He's going to lose it. Because that's all he did down here was lose his mind. Sure enough, I can't remember who it was. I, he, he, he was like on, as a first baseman, um, ended up with the Twins and the Giants. He gets smoked. It's Red Sox, Yankees. They end up on the field. And Phil Nevin is on the field screaming at Cora, at Alex Cora, like, like threatening to kick his ass. And by the way, right, and, and, and Andy's question is, how does this look to ownership? You know, Phil Nevin, if you ask people around the sport, like he's the guy in the dugout that's always saying, something to the players and and happened again on sunday it looked like anyhow you know this is the track record is my point tyler austin was the name by the way that's who i was talking like uh, he got smoked and nevin loses it and he was thrown out like nine times in the season in reno or something like i mean it was crazy and by the way he gets a 10 game rip right now what's he managed 19 games like suspended for like a third of his managerial career in the majors because he's a red ass so like and all of this is like not surprising because it is all on the record. This is 
what he is. So that, I guess, is my question sort of off of Andy's point. If the audience's ownership, does that look good? I'm not sure that it does. If the ownership's the clubhouse, does that look good? Maybe, because, you know, it's a different audience. But, like, really, what I'm curious about is, like, all the, oh, man, I love the old school. Wish people were more old school. How'd that look? Well, it looked awesome. But, <laughs> you know, it's unsustainable, right? You can't you can't have this every night unless you're the 2015 Royals. But, yeah, uh, it's 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 unsustainable. Is there a devil's advocate argument to make that the Angels have tried uh, the Joe Madden way? They've had a manager who is maybe amenable to, I don't know, goat yoga or whatever the heck he's supposed to be in these days. And now it's time for someone who's got the ass. Now it's time you've got these stars. And now is there an argument to make if you are Artie Moreno and you're thinking like, well, we've tried everything. Let's try the ass. Yeah, because Mike Sosha was, you know, famously laissez-faire <laughs> for 10 That's years. Fair. I mean, I I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Yeah, you. I mean, the only thing we know how to do in terms of managers is just flip the switch, you know, one way or the other. You know, it's like players manager, you know, hard ass, players manager, hard ass, analytics, old school, you know. Yeah, I mean, sure. Like, we'll see. Maybe they'll go on like a Phillies-like run, you know, that they got after they fired Girardi and win like 10 in a row. I take doubt, but, you know, who knows? 12 suspensions. 12 suspensions, including an interpreter. An interpreter got suspended, uh, an assistant pitching coach. Uh, Anthony Rendon will serve his five-game suspension when he comes off the injured list, but he's also prohibited from sitting on the bench for the next seven games. I guess he has to stand. Like, there are... There are... Uh, he has to stand. <laughs> just, no, he's going to be tired at the end. But, like, 12 suspensions... I can't remember more suspensions than that. Is is this a pers- like a, a memory record for you guys? The best fight I ever covered was uh, was Royals White Sox in 2015 when it started with uh, Giordano Ventura barking at Adam Eaton and and sprawled into Lorenzo Cain and Jeff Samarja settling up like a two year beef. Cain emerged with his jersey pulled over his head, which briefly inspired a meme uh, where he was Cain uh, Holio, like Corn Holio. Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, but that only got like, that was like five suspensions maybe. And it was like one or two games. I, I've never, I don't know if I've ever seen a manager suspended for 10. No, that's a lot. I've never that's, seen that. Like that's said, a message. Innovative. That's the message. Innovative. Yes, innovative. That, I mean, Scott Service called him out on it in the post game. All right. Like he just, and I think anyone who's paying even a little bit of attention, you see what the hell was going on. Like, I mean, that is doubling down so i think that 10 game suspension is obviously a reflection that the league thought that yes the manager intentionally used an opener to throw at some dudes <laughs> all right and also frankly i think it's hey words out around the league like i said phil nevin is someone who's known as being a pretty temperamental guy i was hearing from people in baseball on sunday saying things like oh shocker Right. Like I mean, he's been screaming at our players like all year long or whatever. Like it's just something that happens. So I think the 10 games is definitely a message of, OK, you've had your old school enough. I mean, that's really what sets this apart to me. The pre-planned, clearly pre-planned nature of it. All right. It, it, it was like, you know, beanball one. If we if it was a super court. Right. Like this was premeditated. All right. So, like, he, I mean, you, you got to throw the book at the guy, especially when he's someone who has a reputation of being pretty excitable. All right. I don't even think that's necessarily bad, but I mean, I get it from the league perspective of nailing him for 10 games. Like, you, 
as Andy said, it's not sustainable. You can't keep going to that well, um, and you certainly can't. He's <laughs> an opener to get guys to hit. Oh, my God. Amazing. I wrote a story a couple years ago about the, the day Doc Ellis decided he was just going to hit every guy on the Cincinnati Reds, oh, so which good. is like one of the great moments in, in baseball history where Doc was just like, yeah, I don't like these guys. I'm just going to hit. I'm going to hit every single one of them. And he had been planning it for months, like for months. I forget which, uh, I think it was Kurt Bavacqua. He told him yep, in spring Bavacqua. training. He was like, he was like, yeah, I bet you uh, uh, a Chateaubriand, the steak, that I'm going to hit every single red in one of the games this year. And he was like, oh, okay, sounds like a good bet, a free steak for me. And then he just did it. Like that five guys. We need to bring him, but we need to bring back that sort of energy. Maybe not that exact uh, plan. I don't know if that's a great idea, considering how hard the ball was thrown now and how out of control guys are. But uh, I love it. I love it. How far do you think a modern pitcher could get today? Like, how many batters? Do you think like two batters, and then everyone's like, "Oh, wait a second, and then three, he's gone. I honestly think it depends on the like re- like the reputation of the pitcher. Right. So if it was like the equivalent of like AJ Burnett or something like that, right, like they could come out, you know, like like Blake Snell hit Bryce Harper and broke his finger. Right. And no one was like, man, Blake Snell was headhunting. It's like, no, like Blake just often doesn't know where the ball's going. But if like Max Scherzer came out and hit five guys in a row, like I don't think he would have made it to number four. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe maybe if you hit I think it's when you if you hit three guys and load the bases and then when you hit another guy in four pitches, you're out. I would say. <laughs> I think I think, I think right. you get I think you get three. Dude, Doc got to five or six, and like pretty easily too. Like I mean, yeah. And let me look it up. I, I, the, my one of my favorite parts of that story is Doc. I guess is coming off the field and he tells Bevacqua, medium rare. He likes to stay <laughs> medium yeah, rare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! There's a line in that story too. I remember. He's like. Doc Ellis is sick of the Cincinnati Reds' as shit. Period. New graph. Like, perfect. Like, that's exactly... I mean, he was just mad about them beating his team all the time. Oh, yeah. I'm I just wrote that. Wow, what a crazy we, website. Yeah, we, did, we, right. We, was that a line? I, I think, that wasn't was, Did I get it? Yeah, in the spring of 1974, Doc Ellis decided he was sick of the Cincinnati Reds' as shit. Wow, there it is. printed that. There <laughs> it is. What a crazy What a site. time, baby. What a site. So, yeah. Um, Man, don't tell the New York Times about this story. Oh, my God. <laughs> Violating like nine policies. Manny Sanguien said, "If you did this today, you'd be suspended for life. Even the catcher would be suspended, and the manager." <laughs> That's great. Doc Ellis didn't get suspended. Oh my gosh! <laughs> they were just like, "Hey, yeah, you know." Different time. Different I mean, di- times, man. That was just old school. If you because back then it was an unwritten rule that if you were sick of someone's shit, uh, you'd hit him. You know, you just you had a right to react to being sick of someone's shit. Now, do you think that we're going to see an opener again for this purpose? Do you think 10 games is enough? Is there going to be an enterprising manager who finds that this creativity is just uh, uh, perfectly suited for his needs? No. Yeah, I think that's it. I think that's it. This is one and done. Go to uh, whatever they call uh Pack Bell Park these days and ask uh, Gabe Kapler if he'd ever considered this. And see, <laughs> like I, I, don't, I don't think I don't think most managers are really thinking about plans like this. I could be totally wrong. I cannot remember a case quite like this. That was my first reaction when I saw it. I was like, "Holy smokes!" Like this was like 
you know, he, he had worked a rule or a worked this like cute little thing to get the job done because of course, like who comes in? The pitcher is supposed to throw the game, right? Like, so it, <laughs> I can't remember another scenario like it. That's why I guess I'm like reacting this way. And then obviously the league thought so too, because yeah, 10 games, that's a pretty damn strong message to never do this again. Did you see that Wants found Winker after the scrum was uh, done? And he, you could read his lips and he said, I had to. And Winker says, you had to? I had to. <laughs> you know, yep. and he's like, I had yeah. to. I mean, it's it, so th- yeah. that's a no-win situation for Wants. Uh, I don't, I mean, there's a lot of reasons to, to think that this stuff is uh, silly, just Cro-Magnon baseball. I get that. But poor Wants, like he's, he's, he doesn't deserve to be uh, on our lips right now. He's just some dude trying to make it. I'd also like to point out the just essential work from the folks at John Boy Media yes. on this video. <laughs> I mean, they, they obviously, you know, they've built an empire and they do a really good job on a lot of different things. But this is like what they were put, what Jimmy was put on this earth to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. I saw Jimmy set up. I wrote about him once. Like that dude, man, like it's pretty impressive. So when he says it took 15 hours... Um, like he said that I think on the video, 15 hours, um, he's got access to all these crazy feeds and stuff. So I don't know. It's a much appreciated effort, John boy, if you hear this, because like, and if you haven't seen the breakdown, it is well worth your time. I mean, he really does A to Z. Yeah. It was awesome. Uh, there was an old guy getting dragged. Old, oh, yeah. old, old guy getting dragged. Uh, that was oh. perhaps the thing that I would never have noticed. I was appreciative of having the old guy getting dragged. Yeah, I think it was like it was a Dom Cheaty who just had like he had like a kind of uh, he had a double leg and he was just getting you know, he was like riding, getting riding time, you know, after the takedown. Yeah, I like the Shohei Otani ISO. Yeah, video. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, like Otani just like mm, I don't want anything. Ipe do finds either. him and is like, no, no, no. He had his entourage like holding him back. It was it was wonderful. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs. And how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job 
job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Let's move on to one of the other best parts of the weekend, which was uh, Freddie Freeman's return to Atlanta. I believe that that caught your attention, Andy. Andy, would you like to start with Freeman's return? One of the most impressive hitting displays I've ever seen this man just like on the verge of tears, apparently the whole time going six for 14 with a, with a go ahead double in the finale against one of the best teams in baseball. I mean, just a, a remarkable uh, hitting performance at a time when he was just, uh, have you, Mark, have you ever seen a player more emotionally distraught on a baseball field while playing baseball outside of maybe Wilmer Flores? <laughs> That's the only comp, and Wilmer had reason to be sad. I mean, he just appeared to be breaking down. Just a wild scene. Dude, before the game even started. I mean, this is happening at the pregame presser. Okay? Like, I, I just, I never, I've never seen anything quite like it. I felt bad for the grounds crew. I mean, it felt like every time Freddie went to hit, they had to pull the tarp. <laughs> it, it, it's just so much. Like, it, one day I get, but like it was almost like a three-day farewell or homecoming, or whatever. And it was just like, uncle. I'm starting to think he wanted to stay with Atlanta. That's the kind of thing I'm picking up on too. <laughs> that he might have regretted the decision. You know who also picked up on that? Yeah, your boy, a, a large left-hander picked yes. up. On yeah, it, uh, as quoted in the Atlanta Journal Constitution. I mean, I think. You know, what Kershaw said was, uh, you know, fairly, like, I would say charitable but pointed. You know, basically, like, I get it. I understand why he's, you know, it's an emotional weekend for him. Uh, hopefully, we're not second fiddle, as he put it. And, you know, this is a special team, you know, and hopefully he starts to feel more comfortable. And I think, like, 
you know, look, like as human beings, we can sort of reconcile, we can understand like, okay, what, what Freeman was going through was an emotional situation. He obviously did not want to leave Atlanta. He wanted to finish his career with the Braves. However, this winter, right, he had a choice. He could be an Atlanta Brave or he could take a five-year contract and, or a six-year contract, excuse me. And he chose six years. And that the Braves did not offer that, right? Uh, the Braves did not make him an offer that fit his contractual terms at the time of negotiating. And they pivoted to Matt Olson when they could not find a price. Uh, they pivoted, you know, kind of shockingly, it seemed like. I mean, based on everything we've seen, right, like Freeman seemed to think it was just going to get worked out. And the Braves had more leverage and they used it. And it's understandable that Freeman is upset about that. And I think it's understandable the Dodgers are kind of like, all right, man, like, what's, uh, okay, we're paying you a lot of money and like, you're really good and we're the best team in the National League. Like, can you stop crying? Um, <laughs> like, but, yeah, I mean, I don't know. You sort of like feel bad for the guy, but it's also like, hey, you're a grown up, you know? Like, if you want to play for the Braves, take their five year offer and take below market value. That's kind of how free agency works, right? The team doesn't have to offer you what you want. Let's look at the term. Free agency. He had the agency. He had the freedom to do what he wanted. So, like, okay, I, I get it, man. He had deep connections there. I don't question that. I, I thought, if anything, like, when it comes to just his obvious love for the organization and history there, obviously it's authentic. No, I'm not trying to be, like, that cynic who's laughing at it in that way, because I'm not. But at the end of the day, he was a free agent. He had the agency to choose. That, that's the right you, that you have. And at the end of the day, it was his choice. So I think that's what I have a hard time with. And if I were in a Dodger uniform, I too would just be like, I hope we're not second fiddle. Clayton Kershaw, I tweeted this, right? Like when Clayton Kershaw says something like that, I think you need to take into account the messenger. You need to take into account his history. This is a, a guy who, he knows what his words mean. And I think he's going to choose them carefully and pointedly, which he did. I mean, he dotted that, right? If he was throwing a baseball, that's on the black, right? as we've seen him do for years. So, you know, message received, obviously. I just was entertained by it because I thought it was kind of dead on. And I thought it was, hey, you know what? If there's a way to handle this and make it clearly not cool, but also not blow the guy up, there it was. Because as you said, it was pointed, not devastating. And that's what it needed to be. He got the message across, um, but it was also like, you know, he, he's not like ripping the guy per se, but more just like, it's sort of, you know, hey, wake up, dude. Like you play for the Dodgers now. And the thing about free agency, right? Like this happens with, this happens with iconic sort of players all the time where their contract ends, the team wants to keep them, right? But it doesn't make sense in terms of them making the most money. Right. So like, for example, like Derek Jeter at the end of his deal and I believe 2010 or was it 2011, maybe 2011, right, had a really ugly negotiation with the Yankees because the Yankees made him a, I think it was a three year offer that was worth more than basically what his value was. But Jeter, you know, felt like his value was more than that. And at some point, you know, Brian Cashman said to him, like, go find a better offer. Go for it. We'll be here. You know, and Jeter took the Yankees offer and he finished his career as a Yankee. There's there was some hard feelings, but it seems like at this point they're probably sort of over. Maybe not. I don't know who could say, I mean, maybe not, maybe not. Clayton Kershaw has been a free agent twice now. 
And both times has taken below market deals to stay with the Dodgers. I don't think anyone's like, you know, complaining about his what his salary's been. He's been very well comp- compensated over the years, but like he's faced that choice and has pivoted and said, okay, I want to stay with the Dodgers. You know, I'll take three years. I think it was 93 after 2018 when I'm sure he could have gotten more money on the market, right? And Freeman wanted both. He wanted the market rate and he wanted it from Atlanta. Atlanta chose not to give him the market rate and he has to deal with it. So it's like the monkey's uh, paw finger curls, right? Like I want I want a six-year contract with a World Series champion. It's like I can make that happen. <laughs> that Jeter, the Jeter thing you mentioned, it made, it flashed into my mind. That was the week. Like it got real nasty. There was like a tennis match in the press. Uh, you know, like there was like leaked offers and numbers were coming out. And like it was getting real nasty. And one of the papers, I can't remember which of the tabloids did this. But they photoshopped Jeter on 29 other uniforms. And, and the back page was him in the Red Sox uniform. Mm. I was like, wow, that's some good newspaper. <laughs> wow. Right that's there. like man. That was just like, wow. That's just good newspapering right there. It was. It was. I'm such a human middle bowl of porridge that like I'm always when I see a story like this, I'm always, well, what's the other side? What's Freddie? I understand Kershaw being upset, but like why is Freeman so emotional? And I try and get in his head about there's a difference between getting drafted out of high school and being with one organization until you're like a 30-year-old man and, and there's just got to be so much emotions. And so I'm trying to imagine, trying to put myself in that perspective. But if there's one person who knows what that's like, it's Kershaw. And that's why that just it meant so much coming from him. It's, I get this, buddy. Like, I get this. I can put myself in your shoes. I've won a World Series with the team that drafted me as a teenager at the same time. We're kind of cool here. Like, you know, we're the Dodgers have a little bit going on, and I don't know. Do you think he's been aloof? Like, was there something that's precipitated this over the last couple months in the clubhouse? I know that the Dodgers clubhouse is a little bit, you know, a little bit uh, buttoned up, right? They're drifting towards 25 guys, 25 cabs. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's sort of what happens when... Um, you know, you have a lot of superstars, you know, some of them brought in from other places, but I like, look at the end of the day, it's not really affecting his work. He's still really good, right? He's still having a very good season. He's still doing exactly what the Dodgers, you know, have paid him to do. You know, I think it will end up being not a big deal. Like as I, I sort of tweeted this the other day, like if anything, it's a sign of his professionalism at a time when he's like breaking down at the site of Mark Bowman from MLB.com, which like <laughs> whom amongst us hasn't seen Bo and just burst into tears. Um, oh, like he's still such a good hitter. Like he's still such a good baseball player. He had to have such, like, the chemicals his brain was producing in that moment. If you could bottle that, that would be wild stuff. Because he was just in such a zone. And it had to be just neurons firing that hadn't he hadn't accessed before that were helping him go into the, uh, the elevated plane. You know, I burst into tears seeing Bowman. It's when he was putting. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That, that is a deep cut. Uh, who's who's the best writer golfer? I, I'm I'm the shittiest. You're talking to him right now. So who's who's the best? <laughs> well, Mark's not a writer anymore. <laughs> among among the professional class, Mark, who's the best of your peers? Oh, man, I don't know. I don't think anybody's any good. Honestly, I'm, now that I think about it, um, we all suck. So, no, but no, I, I gave it. I, I'm kidding. I did not burst it at Bowman's. Uh, but no, actually, I did. Anyway. 
All right, let's move on to our final topic, which is uh, the season of Aaron Judge, where Aaron Judge is having a monster season. Uh, the Yankees, uh, they are doing okay by their own rights. And Andy, you thought that you love this storyline. You love that Aaron oh, yeah. Judge is a pending free agent. It's great. And, yeah, take it over. Aaron Judge can make whatever financial decisions he chooses, right? Like if he had taken uh, the Yankees' seven-year, $213.5 million contract extension, that would have been perfectly reasonable. I think like a lot of people, I saw that number. I was like, that's pretty high. You should probably take that. But he bet on himself. He bet on the irrationality of the market. He's having an MVP caliber season, and I think it's great. It's added a layer of you know sort of sort of drama to the baseball season that it wouldn't have other to this season that he wouldn't have otherwise because every time right he has a big game which is like every other day it adds another element like how much is he gonna get now is steve cohen watching this like is he flipped over from sny to yes like would the red Sox go after him blah 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 and it just adds a layer of drama that makes it so that like judge is the central figure of the sport right now in a way that it's rare for that to happen. And it's because at least five to ten other teams can look at him and say, that guy could be playing for my club next year. And like they can dream on that. The Giants can dream on that. The Dodgers, the Red Sox, the Cubs. And so it's so rare that the sport actually has a main character that's not just baseball writers telling you it's Mike Trout or Shohei Otani, but like it's actually someone who is relevant uh, and not just in, on like a you know, highlight screen. And I think it's like really, really great. I think it's just fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think it's good for the sport. I'll tell you what's compelling about it is that it's happening on a stage like New York with a Yankees team that might be at its best for all. This is a really good baseball team. And as Andy said, Aaron Judge has made himself into the clear-cut central figure of that story. And given the stakes, personally, given the pressure that he's under every day, not just from that standpoint, but also from the team side of it, it is compelling. It is fun to watch. He's a highly skilled hitter. He always has been. You look at Aaron Judge, he's this enormous guy. And it's very easy to just make assumptions about what kind of player he is. And yet, playing a pretty good center field when he's been out there, okay? I mean, it's ridiculous. Like, you look at, the, I mean, he's enormous. He's a tight end playing center field <laughs> yeah, at, he's like, at like, you know. Yes, he he's He's Gronk, but playing center Dude, at, like, at an above average level and a great hitter. Is he bigger than Anthony Munoz? I'm going to go look this up. What you guys think? Dude, when Munoz played, like, yeah, I, I would bet that Aaron Judge is bigger than Anthony Munoz. Yes. And, like, what he's doing on oh a nightly God. basis is remarkable. Okay, Judge is 6'7, 282. Anthony Munoz was 6'6, 278. That's insane. He's playing center field. And what, Munoz is ta playing tackle? He's like yeah, one of the greatest the left tackles of all time. Yeah. But like all those 49er offensive lines in the, in the 80s were the like same size, like right? Like the Cowboys had those monsters, but the Niners were like, you know, smaller dudes relatively. Of course, they were chop blocking. But anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not bigger than Willie Rowe. <laughs> <laughs> if, like, if he was the size of Walter Jones out there, that would be something. But wow, anyway. Look at these pulls. The first time I ever saw Aaron Judge was uh, when my second daughter was born. I took my oldest daughter to a Stanford game and we drove down. It was just to get her out of the house. 
And I didn't know I didn't know anything about players on either team. And all I saw was this ball go 420, 430 feet. And from my vantage point, which was far away, to watch Aaron Judge round the bases in with the perspective of the people around him. I said, holy crap, who is that? And then I started looking him up and I started going, okay, well, wait a second. His number is 35 because his favorite player is Rich Aurelia. Like he is, <laughs> uh, he's from Fresno. How do the Giants not jump on this guy? And they didn't. He was a draft crush a long time ago. But just watching him from 300 feet away around the bases was a transformative experience. Dude's big. You know, watch the at-bats. Right. I mean, obviously, this guy's got power. You know, he's massive and whatever. But like, just watch the at bats from a baseball hitting standpoint. Just like knowing what's coming, anticipation, covering the zone, um, you know, discipline, his eye, all of it. It's ridiculous. So like, it's you've got this like savant like hitter in this tight end Anthony Munoz Gronkowski body. You know that can run like a gazelle in center, or at least co- like you know cover as he's, much ground uh, as well. Settle down. He's a perfectly you know. fine center fielder. He's he's not well. He's gi- not, well, given uh, what he podcast is, podcast favorite Lorenzo Cain. But yeah. <laughs> dude, how many how many low Cain references in a row can we make on the podcast? The Lorenzo Cain don't test him. Don't test the him. Lorenzo Cain references will continue until morale until morale improves. <laughs> what up, low? So that's three three straight. I will say this. You know, like. The bet judges made, right, is that someone's going to be crazy enough to give him $300 million, I think. I think he's uh, right. God, I, I hope it's the Phillies. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, I don't know. I was trying to figure out how to write this as a column, but maybe it's just too stupid a thought no, to no, actually please. flesh out. So let's work it out here, and maybe in two weeks <laughs> I'll recycle Let's workshop. It. Let's do some let's workshop. Wor- yeah, let's workshop it. Okay. I think the team that ha- will have the most bearing on whether or not Aaron Judge gets $300 million is the Atlanta Braves. And here's why. If the Atlanta Braves run down the New York Mets and win the National League East, Steve Cohen is going to spend a billion dollars in free agency. Maybe not a billion. However, if Atlanta, and they're five games back, uh, you can argue on a true talent basis. They're about the same as the Mets. Maybe the Mets are a little bit better. Uh, I do think I've thought at the beginning of the year the Braves were better, but the Mets are obviously a good club. Two very good teams, right? The Mets have five games. Atlanta could run them down. If they do that, Cohen is going to do some wild things, I think. And one of them would be signing Aaron Judge. Oh, man, that's that's a great call. Because not only is he loaded, which everybody knows, but he's still in that period where – you know, like he's what that would be his third year owning the club. Like that's when dudes get aggressive. Like if you're like when owners get crazy when it's like there's it's still fresh. And then if the scenario you're talking about plays out where they've had this fun, good, solid baseball team and all this, and they still fall short. Mm-hmm. Oh mm-hmm. baby, look mm-hmm. out! Yep, mm-hmm. I'm with you. That's a good call. I am in uh, my own little bubble, but I will uh, offer up. <laughs> I will. Jeez, I wonder where you've got Aaron Judge going next year, Grant. I will <laughs> offer up the idea that the Giants had uh, a lot of money to spend this last offseason where uh, they, they had just, compared to the pre-pandemic budgets, they had maybe $100 million to spend, and they didn't spend it. They said, no, 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 we're going to be clever. Trust us, trust us, trust us. If the Giants, with that trust, give... Uh, 
limp into the last wild card spot or maybe even don't make the expanded postseason, there is going to be pressure from maybe above the front office to say, let's get a local kid who grew up a Giants fan. This will be someone we can put on a billboard. This makes sense. I don't care about 2028. Let's do something for right now. I could see that. I really could. Well, it's important to frame this too. Like when you think about Aaron Judge, when you think about any elite free agent, right? Don't think about what the GM running the team thinks. Think about how the owner behaves. So, and oftentimes they're aligned, right? Like like uh, John Middleton hires Dave Dombrowski. They, they're probably simpatico on things, right? But like Andrew Friedman is not a person who has ever gone out there and said, you know what I think are great are decade-long contracts for uh, 30-year-old free agents. <laughs> but are. the Dodgers have made significant financial commitments to players because – Mark Walter, the owner, has authorized them, you know? And so you got to look at, like, the ownership groups. Like, who are the owners who really want to make a splash? Uh, I think the Giants are really, really fascinating because, obviously, they've got a good thing going, right? They were great last year. This year has, has been a bit of a struggle, but they're still, like, in contention. They're still a good club. The infrastructure's there, you know, in Farhan we trust, all that sort of stuff. But at some point, if you're the Giants, right, you've got all this money sitting around. You, If you own the Giants, you've got this money sitting around. You have this huge revenue source uh, at the ballpark that isn't as full as it used to be. And you might be tired of looking up at getting outspent by the Dodgers and Padres every year. And you might want to throw the money at that. Yeah, but first they've got to improve, like, the scoreboard and walk-up music. Boy, that is... <laughs> Man, you know, you're not is attracting ba- anyone if you can't bags get that okay? going. You got to talk to Bags. <laughs> I'm worried about him. Me uh, too. I read that column like Bags, like fired up. He was, well, you know what? I mean, it's it's it is a team that's a little bit, you know, stuck in yeah, I bet I could throw a football over these mountains. Like they're they're a little bit stuck in the past, a little bit uh, stale perhaps. I Listen, that that they column won 107 games last year. It resonated. I'm telling you that 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 column resonated. It's just I, uh, I will never understand the San Francisco market. I just I will never get it. Anyway, but, I mean, they could just bring the crazy crab back. That's all it needs. A little crazy crab. Uh, Mark, good. Mark, can the Yankees afford to let Aaron Judge go? Hell no. <laughs> okay. Well, there's another they one. absolutely cannot. Like, look at that division. Look at that division. You lose a guy like Aaron Judge, and you look at the, the – he's a transformational player for them right now. Like, there's, there's being good and looking at war and, like, seeing what he's doing on the field. What he does there is bigger than that. He feels like a, a massive role in that room. He feels a massive role in that franchise. All right. So, no, they cannot afford to lose him. What if they were to let him go, but to placate Yankees fans, they signed Joey Gallo to a huge <laughs> contract? Would that yeah. satisfy the Yankees fans? Oh, like man, that. that's amazing. <laughs> oh, what a thought. That's even better than Phil Nevin sending an opener out there to drill some Mariners. No, oh, man. Refresh my memory. Who's the last guy the Yankees let go that was uh, they they wanted and then, oh, we, but we wanted it, but we couldn't keep it? Is there a, a historical analog? I would say Justin Verlander, that deadline. When they could have gotten him, and like they would say, "Oh, we can't afford it," and like the ownership that won't let us let it happen, whatever. And it ended up being, I thought, a big deal. So I mean, but I, I can't. Not one that jumps out to me, like as far as you. They were fine letting Cano walk at the price he got. I mean, because Cano is the closest analog to Judge. Oh right, right. Like, homegrown, yep. homegrown superstar. You know, turned down a sort of. The deal that they offered Cano compared to the deal that they like before the season, compared to the deal they offered Judge, like Judge 
you could have taken this and said you would have said like yeah that's about right whereas if Cano had taken what I think it was like seven one twenty yeah it was it was just it was for show. Not, that was clearly for show anyway it was it was definitely below market what Cano got offered and then when he got to the market they were hard at seven one seventy five he ended up getting ten two forty and the Yankees were like enjoy you know the Pacific Northwest they have you know when they want a player. They will set records to acquire him. They paid the most ever for a reliever with Chapman. They paid the most ever for a pitcher with Cole. They will spend when they decide that we must have this player. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how they value him. Like they, they put a number on him that, again, as I've said like five times on this, but it, like, it's, it's, it's worthwhile. They put a number on him. That most people who I've talked to around the game looked at and said, yes, sounds about right. Now, what has he done this year to suggest that he's worth more than that in a sort of like game changing way? Not just like going from, you know, 7 to 13 to 7 to 30, 7 to 35, 7 to 50, but is there a way to get it to 8, 9, 10 years? Has he done anything this year to suggest that 10 years would make sense? No. Because it would never make sense. You can't make him younger. You can't make him smaller. You can't change his injury history. But it does create pressure, external pressure, to how can you let the MVP go? How can you let this guy go? And that is gonna it's gonna be a really interesting stress test for the Yankees. There's been like a cultural shift that has been underway with them for like ten years, right? Where they went from everything's gut, pay the man, just go get the players, right? And now it's, you know, they're looking at, you know, there, there's a reason that that contract offer was so well targeted, okay? Like they, they've got a really strong infrastructure. They have firm belief in what they do with it. I think that's what separates them. You can argue there's a lot of clubs that might execute it better, but man, like they are all in with the way that they think, like lockstep top to bottom so it is a stress test because like this is the exact opposite of what they want right the external pressure that you're talking about is basically here's this guy who looks acts plays like an mvp looks acts plays like a guy who's really important to your clubhouse and what you're trying to do but the numbers injury history age all of that they paint a different picture and yeah stress test is exactly what it is and it is fascinating and you can argue Maybe this is what they want. Maybe they want an MVP season from Aaron Judge so that someone offers him three years, or excuse me, three years. The, the classic Andrew Friedman, you know, three years, $300 million uh, <laughs> short term. Uh, someone offers him 10 years, you know, 325, you know, like what Corey Seager got. And you can look at that and say like, all right, that's, that's crazy. That's crazy. I can't do that. And you, you have an out. Whereas if, you know, is sort of in the situation it was with Cano. 10 years, 240, we view him at 7175. Which would you, if you look at the life of Cano's contract, 7175 would have been a lot better than 10240. You know, based, and there's other stuff that's happened, obviously, with their steroids and stuff. But I'm not saying that that's what the Yankees think. Who knows? But that's an outcome that maybe they're okay with. Maybe they're okay with, like, trusting in the system over individual players. I don't know. I think the age component is what pushes that. That's okay, a huge part. That's of it, yeah. a big one. Like it's a, just a totally different discussion because of where he is 
age-wise. So, like, yeah, I, I think that is definitely a reasonable thought given that reality. Joey Gallo's only 28. All right. <laughs> this has been episode 13 of The Roundtable. We will be back next Wednesday, and we'll hopefully this week is as good and bountiful uh, with baseball doings and transpirings as last week. Uh, we will see you then. Thanks for listening. <laughs>